Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, a beautiful afternoon for a good game of football now, and it looks as though we have the makings of it. Barnes has come in. Well, it's a beautiful day for football and it's a beautiful day to pick apart the fans forum, meeting with Scott and Gino, whatever you want to call it, last night. Welcome to the Watford Buzz Pod. My name is Tom Bedell and I'm joined by your regular host, Matt Messiano and Jordan Weimer. We are three self-absorbed 16-year-old scabs, definitely not professional media, who are everything that's wrong with Watford Football Club. Uh, as you'll know, we were a small part of the supporters group that helped arrange the meeting with Gino and Scott on Thursday night. It's Friday afternoon now. Uh, well done to all of those that took the lead on that, not least Peter and Justin from Do Not Scratch Your Eyes and from the recruiting guys. They all really picked up the baton there. We had representation there in yourself, Matt. So why don't we kick off with you? Uh, hello, both of you. How are you both, first of all? Hello, uh, yes. Very sorry, well. got a bit carried away. Yeah. Uh, did, did, did we both enjoy the new theme tune, by the way? I love. Yeah, it. no, doing well. I enjoyed both. Yeah, both the intro and the the, the theme song intro. It was even better after was the fourth also. version, wasn't it? <laughs> Four, I thought. Yeah, we've been sat here for about thirty-five minutes going through <laughs> every single variation that was what was there before we finally got the right one. So, yeah, beautiful stuff. Um, I don't know. It gets me kind of energized for a game, actually. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, uh, hopefully, hopefully it was well worth the, the money. <laughs> <laughs> don't say I don't spend money on this podcast. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, back um, to the more important things at hand. Uh, yes, I was um, volunteered to, to to go along and represent the the podcast and uh, uh, and also you know the fan base that, that we have several fans that uh, you know we kind of represent, which I'm very proud of. Yeah. What was the mood like? How did they kind of come across in the whole? Just talk us through what the kind of I guess almost from kind of arrival to the end without going in maybe into the questions themselves what was it what was it like for those who couldn't make it it was quite an interesting feeling it was um it was like a parent teacher meeting have you ever been to one of those like where <laughs> you know I've only ever experienced it as the child obviously because I don't have kids of, of, of my own but um it it feels like you're <laughs> in this kind of weird setting where you don't normally talk to the teachers in this particular way and it, it it reminded me of that kind of a thing where you're like oh we've 
we've sort of dropped, you know, the the head of Watford FC alongside uh, you know the, the chairman and just sort of like plunked them in front of eighty guys and girls who um, weren't really sure what to expect. And on the arrival, did you have to sign a memorandum of understanding? This was the the thing last time, wasn't it? That people were asked to sign something that kind of a disclaimer for want of a fewer words was was that the case this time or not well we, we weren't there first time round, but no. uh, yeah i know i heard that that was the case um it didn't happen it didn't happen whilst i was there i wasn't asked to sign anything um, and what was said about recording was it kind of made clear that this was going to just be transcribed by andrew french at the Waffle observer or or what at no point did they say you couldn't record oh that's interesting but um it was mentioned that Andrew French would be transcribing. Yeah. Basically, from what we'd heard previously about the last-minute changes to the <laughs> setup, um, yes. I took that to mean that there is no recording mm. uh, allowed. So we haven't recorded something to play out for, no. uh, for this podcast. I so, think um, it's yeah. important to point out that was the original plan as well, in, in case it hasn't been clear in all the kind of communications over the last week or so, that the original plan was to record it and then the podcasters, it would be made readily available to anyone with a Watford podcast to put out so that as many people could hear it in, uh, you know, kind of full transparency of this was exactly what was said, a recording of questions, the answers, and you could kind of capture all the nuance. We didn't quite get that and I'm sure, well, I know that some people out there have, have got bootleg recordings of it, uh, as it were. It is important to point out as well that we have we have all heard the audio now, one of the bootleg copies. So when we, we will be talking about the questions, we will be commenting, at least kind of talking about maybe some of the disparity yeah. between the, the written answer and the, the answers that were actually given um, live as well. So whilst we're not going to play necessarily clips of audio, we do have some additional context at least, at least to, yeah. to add. Absolutely. What was the kind of mood in the in the room like for for you, Matt, over the kind of course of the night? Were people generally receptive? Did people leave happier than they arrived? Or the mood at the end, the overall mood was hmm, not sure if we've really learnt much. Yeah. Um, so in that way, it was disappointing. But I suppose I'm not sure if anyone really expected to come away knowing everything. So somewhere in in between would have been nice. There, there were certain certain little bits that we got um, invited into and, and 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 told about as though you know we were sort of just like them and us. You know, like I, I don't I don't believe that the club, for example, would have given away the um, information about the deals that they didn't manage to make, for example, because that's quite um, a sensitive type of uh, thing and you, you don't generally let people know about your failures do you openly mm. if no one else knows about them then you've got no advantage to tell people about things that happen that haven't gone right for you so in that um in that circumstance that there were some some interesting tidbits but a lot of the time and I, I might refer to this a few times um is that it felt as though we were listening to a politician giving answers um a lot of the time the direct questions were not really answered with an answer that I would qualify as being I an know, answer. A direct answer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if if the question was, you know, what's two plus two, um, the answer would be some something about why maths is, is such a great thing to study and uh and they wouldn't actually get around to, to saying four. 
So, you know, it was uh, it was it was very clever in that way from the um, from the people that were giving the answers and um, and disappointing for the for the fans ultimately not to not to really hear the, the things they wanted to hear. Yeah. I think it would have benefited from having like a two-part system where you could almost like there's a built-in response to like a question answer and then like a rebuttal, you know, like another question to be followed up with would be been been nice perhaps. But what was your overall kind of overarching thoughts then, Jordan, on the the night overall? What you've read, what you've heard, what you've discussed with people, Um, and so on. Well, we'll say. I mean, look. First of all, I I followed it via the, the the live blog, which, as well, I'll point out was a a monster of a task especially having listening to listen to it since via audio um it, it was you know it's quite quick it was quite the back and forth was pretty quick and the questions were reasonably long-winded and the answers were also uh relatively long-winded without many pauses so it was difficult mm. i think and you know reading the blog personally i felt it was a little it, it came across a little dry a little sterile um honestly it felt very similar to the experience of you know in kind of digesting a game via a live blog it's definitely subpar so it was it was difficult but um obviously we were all interested in the content of it so it, it was tough but the the audio i thought gave a little bit more clarity to certain things i think it helped in some ways um scott and gino in other ways it didn't but for me, I think, you know, I agree with Matt. There were some some questions that I wish there was a little bit more opportunity for pushback. Um, I don't think those those that were asking the questions were afraid to push back because I think the questions, again, on audio especially, came across um, mm. quite quite weighty. They weren't um, they weren't softball questions thrown at them. Uh, there were some difficult ones there. I think at times some people maybe went a bit mm. far on, on some, some topics that weren't necessary. But, you know, there's obviously there's a level of passion there. But... Yeah, I mean, it was it was still interesting. It is hard to say at the moment. I think we came we came away with some quotes and some some messages that they have to kind of hold themselves to in some ways again, which is at least interesting for us as a fan base. We knew it wasn't going to be all exposing, um, but I think even just to have the opportunity to be the people putting the pressure on face to face, it was at least uh, at least worthwhile. Question for both of you then. Let's start with you, Jordan, and go, Matt. What was the biggest takeaway on the night in terms of an, an answer given or a piece of information that was given up? I think in terms of an answer, there was nothing that was particularly surprising, um, I would say. I think I think hearing the, the, the process discussed of, um, of kind of retaining coaches or not, uh, although it's what we've all kind of assumed, it was confirmed, you know, by Gino. And I think, uh, I, I think it definitely showed a little bit of not naivety, but the, the questions we had about Gino being a little bit too close to the club at times and having that kind of like narrow field of view when it comes to certain aspects of it. Uh, he even mentioned, which I, I actually now, I'm, now as I'm saying, I think this is probably the biggest revelation in terms of what he said. Um, players that have been around the club a little bit too long and the, kind of the new look, fresh team we're looking to build and, mm. and perhaps at times we've held on to players for too long, um, I thought was interesting because that's definitely been one of the biggest accusations um, in recent years when it comes to recruitment especially. So hearing that somewhat admission, I thought that's kind of the closest we got to an admission of um, guilt or a mistake was uh, was in terms of keeping the players a little bit longer than we should have done. So that, I think, for me, off the top of my head, was one. Yeah. Um, and then the other one, I'd say, which wasn't so much revelationary, but revolution, revelationary, revelationary. Was, um, 
Revelate, yeah, there you go. Sorry, revelatory was um, the the discussion around um, around the the coaches and how you know they get to see more than we do and uh, and the, and their reasons for moving on after kind of training sessions and so on that they've seen what yeah. they've been happy with and and so on and so on. I was going to say just on the the point about holding on to players too long, just one example of where they've evidently learned their lesson because we've we've learned since we last podded that Tom Cleverley, Craig Cathcart, and Dan Gosling with a combined age of a hundred, uh, all one way or another in contract discussions for next season. So that's good. Matt, what about you? <sighs> What's my biggest takeaway? Biggest takeaway, mate. Yes. Um, well, I, bought, I got three bottles of Coke, so that was that was my biggest takeaway. Oh, three. Well, if I'd have known that. I'd have been there. <laughs> In two hours, that's pretty impressive. Uh, that's some going, mate. I'm impressed. Yeah, no. You're worth the that stuff down. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I think my biggest takeaway, uh, one of the questions that was asked was about a explanation of the differences between the technical director and the sporting director, how yes. they work together. And it was agreed by Scott that he would make an org chart to really define what it is that each of the different... Uh, HODs do mm-hmm. so um, I thought that was quite useful actually I I really liked the fact that he gave way on that and um, it'll make it easier going forward to well I mean it's not the nicest of things but to assign blame because right now it's, all credit. it's, it's all, all credit to be fair yes well done Jordan yes to be all credit because right now to be fair there are some things where decisions are made and I'm not sure if it's been made by Gino, by Ben, by Scott by, by Scott, by um, by Cristiano. So, Completely. you know, it, having this chart will help us um, be able to understand who it is that's responsible for certain areas. Well, also, uh, I thought is that in the blog. Um, I don't know if it made the blog. To be honest, um, I think I've seen it written down today. I certainly heard it. You have? Okay, okay. Apologies. That no, no, but it might have been one of the subsequent articles rather than the blog. Yeah, I don't night. remember reading that from. The, I can remember the conversation that we all. I can't remember reading the blog. That's the, that, that part of it. But yeah, no, sorry, go on though. I just wanted to clarify that in case it was news to some people. You know. Yeah, um, and then um, another takeaway was I think it was John Parslow that asked a question that was along the lines of um, you know you, you you fire far too many managers and. Um, there is a, you know, a real possibility that we're not giving managers enough time to have a, a comeback, as it were. You know, um, you know, you you would have fired uh, the Nottingham Forest manager's name suddenly escapes me, Steve Cooper. Cooper, yeah. yeah. Cooper. Um, and uh, also on the back of that, um, he he said, "Is it likely that if Ishmael gets ten games and only has sixteen points, will he also?" get fired and um mr pozzo didn't answer that one directly surprise surprise but uh <laughs> i think by not doing that he basically said yeah he will um because he didn't deny that he wouldn't so i, I think what he said within his answer is that um he's going to be sticking to his current plan and uh the change that perhaps some fans have been hoping for isn't going to be taking place no which is a shame Yes, it all as an overarching theme, it all rather felt like there's nothing to see here. We trust in the process that's got us to this point, and almost at times a little bit like you don't know what you're talking about. Particularly that comment that you recalled there, Matt, about seeing the managers during the week, which I totally get. But they also said, and I read this in an 
the live blog, we could we could make decisions without needing the games, which I just think I get. I totally get. It's a holistic view, but also it just felt a little bit arrogant to me, and and particularly for uh, an executive that have gone through managers at such an alarming rate. Um, what do we think to that kind of the view of how the the appointment and whatnot works, and the other kind of things they talked about? recruiting for a different a particular style and uh, kind of profile was the word I think they used a lot. Do we think well, that's accurate or... Well, one of we... the things he said was that um, every time he uh, he has to part ways with a head coach, he's admitting in a mistake and um, it doesn't matter to him how many times this happens because if there is a problem, he would rather make the change rather than delay. And I think his words were inevitably let it get worse. Mm. Um, but, I mean, my answer to that, and I wish I'd thought of it at the time, was that uh, if he's making mistake after mistake, surely the, the biggest mistake that he's making there, or, you know, he, uh, wider, broad, team-wise, are not making the proper recruitment in the first place. Because surely if you've properly researched what type of head coach it is that you want and, and done a very thorough recruitment process. You won't need to be admitting a mistake 10 games down the line because you've got the right person in. Completely. That went unaddressed, I think, didn't it? That it's all very well being proactive, but are we not reflecting on how we ended up in that situation regularly? I, I think someone did bring that question up at some point. Okay. I think someone did give him that rebuttal at some point later down in a different question, perhaps. But I, I think also, sorry, I know you're about to leave me in there as well, Tom. Apologies. Um, but I, I think also too, using proactivity as a kind of distraction from, you know, as an, as an excuse for mistakes. I don't think is necessarily. Like, yeah, you can. I, I think it's admirable at times when we've been proactive. There have been occasions where we have moved on from from head coaches when it felt like it was actually to our benefit because it gave us a fighting chance to, to do something different and have time for it to work. But at the same time, obviously it's a good point, which you just said there. And I, I think it's quite clear that you could at least expect him to, to admit to some mistake in, in, in terms of some managers, for example, Rob Edwards, like it's hard, you know, he might feel that he, that it was a bad fit. Um, but it, it's hard to deny that he's done well since he's left us. And, you know, you, there must be a part of you that thinks, you know, was it, if it was a bad fit, was the only option to change that to move Rob on? You know, what, what was going wrong? Uh, and I, I do agree with what they say. You know, I think when it comes to assessing managers, not just managers that, that are kind of, kind of actively with us, but uh, you look at managers that potentially come to us and we're trying to assess whether it'd be a good fit or not. It's so difficult to do because 99% of the job or 90% is behind closed doors you know we don't, we don't get the access to to much of what makes them good or bad at their job and, and Gino has much more of that than we do so he's objectively in a better position to judge but I don't think it's I don't think you can discount you can't discount what you see on game day you can't discount the results as well of course um, so to suggest that you wouldn't need the games necessarily I don't think that's quite accurate um, especially when kind of what goes into making a training session good or bad, or what goes into the players performing or partic- or kind of you know, applying themselves in training situations, it's not just the manager. Even if he has a, a responsibility to kind of get a tune out of the players and get them motivated, there are other factors at play, and, and that's that's one that I wish was able to kind of be dug into a little bit more in regards to Rob Edwards, because mm. you know we've all heard the stories about Ranieri. You know his training sessions were 
you know, not really up to it. Same with Roy Hodgson and you know, players lack of motivation and so on and so on. But I, I'd not, I've not heard any of that in regards to Rob. So I've been very curious to, to, to hear what his specific motivation was. And I think I, I think at one point Duxbury kind of tried to avoid that and said something, I haven't got the quote on me, but said something along the lines of, um, without going to, into too much detail on Rob, actually that's, kind of what we, that's exactly where we wanted the detail. But um, it was... Yeah, again, somewhat avoiding. We knew the the, the thought process and that, that he has, but it would be nice to see a little bit more behind it rather than kind of the broad strokes of it. It, the it was the first question asked, actually, the um, yeah, the was, yeah. one, and um, I think the answer from Gino Pozza was, um, let's say we, we saw the work and we saw the approach, and um, and it wasn't working for us, and um, you know maybe the fact that he goes to Luton and it works there can mean something more different from us and Luton. It was really about that, um, which I think what he was getting at there was that it worked well for him at Luton because of the setup, the players mm, and, exactly. and the style yeah. that they were playing there. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I completely understand why that could be a, an answer because different head coaches work better with certain players, with different styles, with different setups. And so it's completely possible that Rob Edwards didn't fit at Watford, but was perfect for what Luton needed that at that at that time. So that's why, even though it hurts me because he's gone to our rivals and got them promoted, I'm not uh, in the camp that thinks that Rob Edwards would have got us promoted. I think he well, probably was... would have done a better job, but um, yeah. I don't think he would have got us promoted. Well, I think the frustrating thing is though, Rob was somewhat. It didn't. Rob was somewhat of a known quantity. So if what I would assume would be the bad. What makes him a good fit for Luton um, on the surface uh, what, um, is the same thing that makes him a bad fit for Watford on the surface. How didn't we see that? You know, How didn't we see that and adapt to it? We knew we, what he did at, for, uh, at Forest Green Rovers was was pretty pretty clear. Um, didn't take much research to to see how he played and the, the, the approach he took to his man management and, and so on. Um, it shouldn't have been a surprise to Gino and Scott 12 games in you know that it should have been pretty clear from the beginning so uh, and if and if that was the case if that is the reason then that there's a mistake in that in itself because it's something that should have been identified you know during the due diligence process of, of deciding whether Rob's the the right fit to be head coach if it wasn't that if it was something deeper then you know what what was it because I don't think that blanket statement is really enough to justify or really explain you know, moving on from Rob and, and, and sacking the manager that you, you said or you anticipated being around for a lot longer and, you know, that Scott Scott kind of admitted to, to viewing the end of the seat last season as a as somewhat of a rebuild time or a reset and to kind of move away from that so quickly. It, it just seems, it, it was not a satisfying answer to me. Even if it was one that can make sense in the service, I still think there's a lot of holes in it. Another question that could have been asked, that, and I'm sorry if this ends up becoming a, a coulda, woulda, shoulda programme, um, but someone really should have, I mean, maybe it should have been me, but someone really should have um, gone back and said, well, hang on a second. Why didn't you back Rob Edwards? You know, you've brought this guy in. Why haven't you given him the personnel that he needs to to work with his in his desired way? And if as part of the recruitment, your message was to the potential candidate, you need to work with the players that we have. Why did you hire him if you knew that he wanted a certain if you, if you wanted well, certain point. personnel, yeah. unless of course he 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 bald faced lied because he wanted that championship job. Maybe, maybe he. Yeah, I mean, maybe we're giving um, 
Robbo puts too much credit here. Maybe he actually went in and said, yeah, I can work with those players. That's exactly what I need. Just a couple of additions will be fine. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But um, mm. I think that, you know, the question of why he wasn't supported once it became evident that what he needed we didn't have probably should have been asked. And, uh, oh man, I'm just going to go through this whole thing now and just think, oh, I should have asked that. I well, it's tough. That. It's tough though. When there's no, it's not, a, it's not a back and forth conversation. It's a question and answer. So to to really get a satisfactory result, you have to be able to have the response, don't you? You know, from the question asker. Otherwise, it becomes easier to dodge. But what what did you? What was your opinion on that, Tom? Did you feel that was a satisfactory answer? No, not really. It was, as, as you say, it was quite kind of disingenuous. I think, wasn't it? And on one hand, I get it because if we went into every single sacking in the last, even just the last two years, that probably would have taken up most of the evening. You know, but I do think as a wider point, and someone mentioned it later on, communication and openness will go a long way to bridging this gap. Because as we all know, when they do things and don't fully explain them, the void that is left gets filled with speculation and conjecture. And we do it as well, because you have to. Once upon a time, they were quite good. Certainly when they got rid of Kike, I thought they gave a really good detailed explanation in the face of a lot of scrutiny and derision. I think, if I remember rightly, Scott Duxbury even went on Five Live or um, certainly as BBC, because I remember he spoke to Mark Chapman, to discuss it and say, you know, why should we accept just that 13th is a brilliant result for us and so on and so forth? But they kind of stepped away from that. And I just think that I, I just, you know, unless there's kind of terms of a, a non-disclosure that it would kind of contravene or whatever, I just think a little bit more detail in these moments would mean that we don't then have to sum up every managerial sacking in 11 years in in kind of explicit detail or, or look into every single one in explicit detail. Um, but yeah, I would be very interested to know what exactly it was that Rob Edwards was failing on explicitly on the training ground Monday to Friday that we don't see because we're only fans. Um, yeah. Allegedly, Gino Pozzo didn't see either because he was quoted as saying that he doesn't watch the players, which um, was weird weird because earlier on in the conversation he had said that he does watch them, so which one is right, I don't know. And he's obviously got his he's obviously got his feedback from his staff and so on and I I don't believe I know I mean he's at the training ground, I'm sure. But the thing is though, what I'll say too is, you know, it's Training varies so much depending on schedule, depending on you know availability of players, depending on you know all these things. What what the particular focus is at a certain time. It, I don't truly believe that you can make a full assessment based on training any more than you can make a full assessment purely based on the game. I think it's it's so much more nuanced than that, and I think it's an easy it's an easy answer to hide behind the one thing that we really don't have access to, which is a day-to-day training. You know, like it's easy to say that's the reason yeah. why I make these decisions because not, it, if you sell that firmly enough that that is the be-all and end-all of decision-making process, then there's no there's no kind of response from fans that can that can question it because we don't get to see it, you know? So I, I yeah. think that's, it's a little bit of a cheap answer um, because there's also, you know, there's, there's also off-the-field aspects to the to the job too which have to be assessed you know away from the training ground and away from the game um there's lots of factors and i think it'd be too convenient that all of the seconds we've had that have been early it's not just about being unjust but they've also come in line with results i don't think you always have to be training poorly to get poor results so there's lots of that's teams a very that, good point that train actually, yeah. train well and play and play play badly too no, that's very true. I think um, 
to bring it forward to the present day, we can link it with Rob and say they talked last night and in general about Valerian Ishmael. They never called him his name, which I found weird. They, unless I missed it, it was always the head coach, the coach, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they talked about the importance of getting that early appointment in. I have done some digging. Rob Edwards was appointed on May the 11th last year. Valerian Ishmael was appointed on May 10th of this year, and they said of his appointments, appointment, in this case, we are looking for a certain coach that is proactive, for example, in recovering the ball, something that doesn't, someone that doesn't like to sit back and wait, someone that likes to go more proactively recovering the ball. So we're looking for a high intensity, and so, of course, around that, you need a certain type of player. And, of course, you need a coach that actually wants to do that, and in this case, we have stressed, we have stressed more certain attributes. Do we have... Confidence that there's joined up thinking there in terms of that re- that appointment, how the recruitment will go, the squad that we've got, etc. And what what do we make of those comments overall? Can I just comment this real quick for it goes out of my mind because I just wanted to say this is actually a point I wanted to bring up um, earlier. I think this is one this is one aspect of of the uh, I was going to say the interview, the forum. Um, where I feel like they did themselves a little bit of a disservice by not wanting to admit a mistake. Um, because what, I think the, the difference clearly was, and what, what they wanted to kind of get across was the fact that, look, we're actually, the, the plan is here to actually kind of have a, a, a set-in-place idea of how we want to play and build towards it through our, our technical director, our recruitment team, our head coach. We're going to have a continuation of our continuity in head coach style, regardless of Ismail. Going forward, we want to be a team that recovers the ball, wins it back. If they just said quite openly, look, we didn't really have that in place before, because clearly they didn't. There was no continuity in terms of this is the sort of head coach, you know, the style of football is going to remain the same to fit the squad regardless. And that was that was brought up by the fans too, that it wasn't, that it wasn't there. But if they had just been able to say, you know, that we didn't have that, that the, not to the level that we needed to, now with Ben coming in, the idea of him being there is almost a... He's almost a quality assurance guy. Is everything stay, is everything pushing towards the same goal we're all looking for? Are we continuing down that path? You know, and that allows you that that stable back backing they were talking about, which allows you to then recruit for. You're not recruiting for Ismail. You're recruiting for coaches that play like Ismail. You know, that's what the idea is. So, I, I think it's good, and I, I do believe that they are trying to do that, or at least putting more effort into doing that, more practical, tangible effort by bringing in someone that has. A clear philosophy. It also is a little bit more comforting to to hear them. Well, I mean, a they were, they hire a coach that we know plays in that way, but to hear them actually say that they want to play in that way is also reassuring because we know best based on Ismail, that's his tendency. We know based mm-hmm. on the kind of markets that and the markets and leagues that that Manga has worked, played, and and recruited from. That sort of that sort of philosophy fits in line with him too. So all the all the indications were going down that route, but it's good to hear them say it. And I do think if they ever have said that before, it was you know potentially a bit of a pipe dream. But now I think they're at least putting in some some aspects into place to allow that to be the reality rather than just a, a goal of ours. I think you've, although you said I need to interject and get this off my chest, I think that actually tied in nicely to the question anyway. So I'll throw it over okay. to you, Matt. What did you make of their kind of comments on Ishmael and the, the joined up thinking that they're at least preaching has happened? Um, I mean, it, it sounded a lot like the uh, the same thing that they said when uh, Rob Edwards was hired, <laughs> when um, Chris Wilder was hired. I'm missing uh, someone, aren't I? Um, Slavin Bilic. Slavin Bilic was hired. Um, it, I mean, it's like copy and paste, isn't it? So, I mean, 
Is it gonna? Is it? Is it good? Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm finding it difficult to believe them because every single time uh, they've got a new head coach, naturally, it's the best thing in the world since sliced bread. And yeah. um, and the last thing was uh, mouldy and stale, and we could never have possibly uh, have anticipated that would have happened. So um, uh, naturally, we've um, chucked that one in the bin straight away. Uh, um, without considering that, you know, maybe you could toast it and it still has some life in it. I don't know where I'm going with this bread analogy. <laughs> this, is, this is rubbish. Um, You're hungry, man, aren't you? I think, I think what I'm trying to say is um, it's natural that they would say that their new man is, is, is going to be fantastic. And um, I just I find it quite difficult to, to believe that this is going to be any different to, um, to any other head coach that's been in place. But I will watch this space and, and hope and keep my fingers crossed that they really have done their homework this time and, and it's all going to be perfect. One thing I just want to quickly touch on before we wrap up on head coaches and I'll give you both the opportunity to talk about anything else that was missed was uh, Javi Gracia. The one kind of time I think that maybe he didn't say the words but kind of inferred do you know this is that they made a mistake was holding on to Javi Gracia for too long and, and even that was kind of to back up his point that he'd rather expose himself, as he kept saying, which is amusing, and and act kind of as he has done by removing a head coach earlier than than not. When he said that we, the kind of slide had begun the previous season, but we let him continue into next season, and you just think, so if you can't aren't getting them right, you're sacking them too late and too early. It depending on which view you take, you know how kind of what bit are you getting right at this stage to be quite honest um i thought i thought that was quite interesting that he was evidently cognizant of that slide prior to the end of the 1819 season and evidently regretted not removing gracia sooner which um makes me think now that we will probably never see someone come in for that length of time going forward because it will always be you know well, remember what happened when, when Gracia was kept on beyond his sell-by date, so to speak. There was an interesting moment when they mentioned um, one of their reasonings for um, for not feeling as though Gracia had the same level of strength that he previously had was that he kept uh, Delefeu on the bench. For yes, the, I was going to come on to this in the recruitment yeah, um, uh, segment of it, yeah. And, and, and by not using the toys oh, that he had purchased for the the head coach demonstrated that he couldn't utilise the, the best assets the club had or yeah. something along those lines. Well, he said disalignment, didn't he, between Gracia and recruitment as he did not see Saar and Delafeo as assets. I mean, what do we make of that? If you can't see the evident underlying problem there, then you do wonder how fit you are to have any involvement in hiring a head coach or recruiting players. Jordan? I mean, A, didn't he see Delafeo as an asset? Like, I feel like Delafeo had a good number of minutes under Javi Gracia. He played centrally under Gracia and did very well, scored goals for us and was pretty integral that season. The only the only reason that he didn't start in the semi-final was because Andre Gray had scored about four 90th minute winners in a row. Yeah. Um or four different making uh, different difference making goals in a row. Remember he had the the one against Everton, the one against Palace, and this is all in the build up to the to the semi final. And I think, you know, leading up to that game I remember a large amount of discussion surrounding you know, although Delafeu is clearly the better player, I think there's a shout for Andre Gray to be to be involved in this one. Also, um, I think Delafeu so was out of form at the time, wasn't he? Well, I think it was just he, he wasn't playing as well, and Andre Gray was playing well, or he's at least being productive. So I think that no one was questioning that, and everyone, I mean, 
pretty much everyone, especially that season, was very high on Delefeu. But even so, everyone thought, well, you know, we've got a good weapon from the bench in the game that could go to extra time. And of course it did. Um, so that one, I feel like, was a little bit harsh to use against Javi Garcia. I feel like Delefeu was one of his key players in that season. Um, key assets in, in particular, especially, you know, he's also... In, in Gracia's first game in, in the season before when, when Delefeu was on loan, he was a difference maker against Chelsea uh, in Gracia's first home game. You know, I just don't, I don't see so much of a disconnect there. The real part for me that I found odd was the, the Ismail Assar signing. Of, I mean, Javi Gracia doesn't use wingers and we signed a winger. It's not, yeah. it's not inconceivable that he wouldn't be a, a, a favourite. And that's not, on, that's not on Gracia. You know, Gracia was working with what he had and they were the to point players. out they only take the kind of view of the profile of the co- the player the coach wants, right? That was said several times. The coach alone does not pick the players, which we already knew. But if you're yeah. devolving power on that so much, you can't then pin not using a player like Saar on the coach alone, right? No, and no, of course not. And they and that they even discussed at a later point in regards to Jao Pedro and, and Yasser Espria that they have. You know, it, there's always going to be a pragmatism to recruitment where you sign for your, you, you sign the players to fit your system. Hopefully, anyway. But you know, if a if a if a talent pops up that you know you can get a, a reduced value or you think a real favourable price, you might bring them in even for not a perfect fit, like Jao Pedro, like Yasser Espria. If they're available for you, you're first there and you've got an, an early door on them. You'll you'll take that and and you'll find a way to make it work. But Ismail Assar was a thirty million pound signing. You know, it's not. He he wasn't one that we 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 had hopes for him to have sell on, but if you're going to bring him in, if you're going to spend that money on him to put him in the shop window, it anyone anyone that watches that that Gracia team could have told you it's not going to be perfect, and there's going to be a chance that he's not going to be playing at his best because we we didn't play with uh, you know attacking wingers, we played with those wider midfielders, you know Will Hughes out out wide, we had. Yeah. Um, you know, Roberto Pereira, who's not going to be kind of you know, breaking down the wing and, and beating players on the outside. He's going to be cutting in, and it's just a very different system. So that that really said more about about Gino and potentially a, a debt. Uh, potentially, it's a negative towards his his understanding of his own team, which is which is a strange light to put himself in. It was a bit of an own goal there, I'd say. Did we come away any clearer on who actually does the recruitment? It was talked about a lot, and we'll come on to Moji Bayat and his involvement in a minute. That's my next thing in my brain as I try to compartmentalise all this. But in terms of Cristiano Giretta and Ben Manga, the question was asked directly, and Matt, you rightly mentioned that there's going to be an org chart. I think an org chart alone won't solve it. We need, you know, kind of almost responsibilities, almost a job description for each member of the executive kind of team. But did did we come away any clear on what everybody does and where those kind of roles and responsibilities start and end? Ben Manga is is the now is now the person responsible for uh, for the recruitment, but um, that is alongside Giretta, um, who has an input uh, specifically with um, whether those players. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. ...are likely to fit in um, with the ethos and ultimately any uh, dealings are signed off by on Scott... And also Gino. So um, I guess I guess they have the ultimate, um, you know, the, the buck stops with them basically, doesn't it? But um, it, it's going to be Ben Manga's responsibility. I think what's important to note about the the recruitment system and setup is the 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 kind of joint approach of how it's handled and how players are identified and decided upon is not at all unique to Watford in, in any sense. The, yeah. the thing that's unique to Watford was a lack of consistency in regards to type of players they're trying to sign. That's really what made it a crazy affair. Uh, I think when it comes to the, the system of, a, of, a, of you know, bringing these players in, you've got multiple branches that are working together to first talent, talent identification. Let's find the players that fit. What's the remit? Find the players that fit. Bring it all together. Ben Manga's there to to kind of collate all that information, speak to his scouts, uh, speak to his recruitment team, speak to his analysts, come to a conclusion on a list of players that they deem necessary or, or or useful to the team that are available and you know there to go to actually go out and get. Um, he's going to then present that list. Maybe have input from Giretta. I'm not sure if Giretta has maybe more of a. You might have someone in Giretta's position as um, there to maybe perhaps look and see, you know, what's the, these players might be good on paper. What's the practicalities? What's the likelihood of of us actually being able to go out Mm. and get these players? Are these players that are really available? Are the clubs on the part with these players? Because to be honest with you, it's not always particularly hard to find a player you think is good for a team. The question is, can you actually go and get that guy? So, you know, you might hand off some of those responsibilities to Gioretta and he might have some input on the player himself and so on. And then once everything like that is decided upon, you've got the, you're in a position where you can take it to the head coach and say, look, these are a list of guys we're looking at. Um, here's some, you know, here's some some information about these guys. Here's some footage if you want to watch it. Same goes for Gino because he's obviously got an interest in it and feels that he knows his stuff. But Scott, I guess, has some involvement. He he might be more on the practicality side of it too. Uh, and and it's a, it's a big deal to get a player to move clubs. Like the the, the work that goes into a transfer is is reasonably l- laborious. So I don't think it's abnormal to have all these kind of like you know all these cooks in the kitchen. I don't think it's a, even a bad thing. I think it's a good thing in a lot of ways. Yeah. But the problem is that either because that's either a good thing or a negative thing depending on your approach to bringing these players in and what sort of players you're looking for. It can be disastrous if you've got no 
consistency and plan you're just looking for talent without any idea of fit or whatever your situation is but it can also be the most effective strategy should you have uh, an actual clear plan in place for all departments to get you to that final decision making process someone who feeds into this process externally is Mogi Bayat Mogi Bayat Mogi the bogey Moji 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 thank you there you go Moji Bayat <laughs> Mr. Moji, as they called fun. him, as they called him throughout, that was the one thing we came away with clarity on. Evidently, there was a lot of talk around him. People came at it from different angles. Every time the subject seemed to be parked, someone else came back to it, and that's not a criticism. I think that's a good thing because I don't think any of us really want to be associated with him or see any great benefit from him. The explanation given was very much that he doesn't get any kind of preferential treatment or control. Uh, that any other agent doesn't get. He is one of a number of agents that we use and there are benefits to using agents because of the relationships that they have with other clubs and players and so on. How did you two come away from that feeling regards Mogi? Moji, sorry, Matt, let's start with you. Not particularly happy, actually. Um, the feeling in the room was almost unanimous. We don't really like the idea of working with this guy um, with the various accusations and reports that are overhanging and we also feel as though um, that aside it is quite dangerous to be relying so heavily on one particular agent and that's the that's the way it seems from the outside looking in and those sort of questions were posed towards uh, Mr Pozzo and, and, and Scott and um they were quite defensive, actually, of um, of him. They were, weren't they? Um, and rightfully so on the the aspect of you know this man is is innocent until proven guilty. Fair enough, but um, they didn't do enough for me to explain why he is so linked to the club that he's attending. You know, a, a vast majority of fixtures. Um, why we are, um, you know, sort of working so closely with him on many different transfers um there were questions that were asked that were above my kind of knowledge of transfer dealings and and why he was um set up on a, a holding company or I, I forgive me i don't really understand that so i don't want to go into that bit but um yeah but basically they didn't do enough to reassure me that um Agreed. that this is a normal working uh, practice and everything is above board and it's all okay and hunky-dory. And even when it was put to them directly that by Wendover Horn, who is a regular on the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes space, a voice I recognise, um, you know, he's there in the director's box at most games. They kind of obfuscated and, and danced around the, the subject. Jordan, what did you make on the Moji Bayat chat? Yeah, this was the this was the most politician-like answer, I thought, of, of the lot, or at least the, the answers yeah. to these questions. Um, I think that my my personal opinion in terms of agents and agencies and working with football agencies, that's kind of been, at least in my, for lack of a better term, career is a gross way of putting it. It was weird to say all that, but most of my work has been through agents or a lot of, a lot of work with agents. And I think it's kind of one of the things that clubs don't want to admit is it is, it is the, the dirty side of the game. Um, there's a lot of disingenuous behavior there's a lot of ego there's a lot, everything that all the negative association or connotations that come with agents are generally accurate not always but generally accurate and i think clubs 
have to go into that or stoop or go down to that level to, to facilitate deals and get things done. And I think the interaction the club have with, with Mogi Bayer is not particularly unique for a football club. Um, I don't think it's particularly unique for Watford or, or any club to deal with agents that you know are perhaps involved in things that are somewhat, for lack of a better term, crooked. That's just the reality of the situation. You have to you have to kind of engage to stay competitive. I think the question is obviously they can't really give that answer. They can't say that because not, if every club's not admitting to that, it, it then kind of makes you look like the sole bad guy or the team, you know, the, the crooked team or whatever. The question is, which is unfortunate, it wasn't able to be raised. You know, why is there? It, has there been any representation of the club by? Moji Bayer, why why are we not seeing any clarification on that? Because there has been talk of you know him representing the club in contract renewals, um, as well as negotiating um, with other teams for players that he's not representing. So that is abnormal. That is less that is less normal. And you know it, it's it's a it's a grey area because technically as an intermediary, you are able to represent a club. There's nothing stopping you doing that as as, as easy as you can represent a player. It, it's the same process effectively. So you can have that external connection, but the club or Scott and Gino just didn't really have to touch on that. And I think that is potentially the weakness in their argument or yeah. their kind of dismissal of, oh, you know, we work with agents. We've got no particular tie to agents. We like a player that the agent has, then we sign him. Yeah, that is true. But there are there are also situations where, you know, the reason you might have they talk about having relationships and having access to certain players you know they they used vacuum bio which was kind of a funny example, example wasn't it? yeah <laughs> but they used they used bio as an example and they, they talk, also Duxbury talked about Damari Gray and you know having relationships with agents to to facilitate deals that might not be there there for you if you didn't have that relationship in place well what that is actually really talking about in my opinion is sometimes you do take on deals that you're not particularly enthused about they might just about cover a position you need because you feel at a later date it could benefit you down the line when it comes to acquiring a player that's on their books that you may have more of an interest in and maybe higher value say for example you might you might take on a bio so you can get a loser you know that that might happen um and that's the reality of it i think that they didn't feel comfortable sharing that but I don't think the kind of political answer really, the politician type answer really fools anyone. We're all very used to that in many facets of our life and existence. We hear those sorts of answers all the time. So it is very clear when they come up and there's obviously something being hidden. I don't think it's potentially as nefarious as it's made out at times. I think the, the secrecy can just open the door to conspiracy beyond what the reality is. Not to say the reality is perfectly clean and acceptable but i do think it's the i think the cost is only slightly more slightly higher than the the normal price of doing business within football yeah i think we're all kind of accepting the fact that you have to have relationships with agents right and and some clubs for better or worse work more closely with a a smaller pool of agents or even in some instances a single agent look at wolves and george mendez they'll deny that they have anything to do with him but he is worked closely with them and bought a lot of good players there. Arsenal had a period, didn't they, where they kind of did a lot of business through Keir Drabshan. But when Ben Manger is talking about going for a scouting-led recruitment process rather than an agent-led recruitment process, it does also cast into doubt kind of are all the main players here on the same page and, you know, are we essentially being lied to or, you know, the very least kind of 
serious, um, you know, kind of misled with politician answers, as you say. I, I, I believe that Ben Manga will be working in that way. But as you guys have both um, very rightly said, um, the current way that Watford works won't really be changing in the sense that they will still be working with their favoured agents. And I suspect um, if Moji Byatt comes up tomorrow with a good client, he will be signed for Ben Mangan. But I believe he wills to be working in his own way to bring talent via the scouting route. And hopefully we'll find and unearth a few, you know, good good guys that, that way as well. But they, they still have people, um, agents. I, I don't exactly know how it works, Jordan. Perhaps you can explain to us. Do, do, do Watford, or maybe not Watford, but do clubs have agents on sort of like retainers, sort of working mm. on their behalf? Generally not. No? Generally, not, there can be conflict of interest issues in that sense. I think often what happens is there'll be relation, you know, unofficial relationships formed. The, the thing is, right when so when it comes to recruitment practices, in an ideal world, you scout the talent, you find the talent, you speak to the club, you speak to the player, you bring them over, everything's done. You know, that's that's great. But obviously, there are occasions where. Um, you might be desperate for a certain position. You might be compensated for an injury. You might be working in a in a, in a more su- say say you get someone injured. And you've got to get a replacement in quick. January windows opening, deals got to be done. You might not always have the the freedom in, in in recruitment that you'd like. So oftentimes agents will be used to kind of facilitate or shorten that that cycle. But also too, you know, players are or agents are coming to clubs with players a lot. Um, but also when when a when a club is looking for player, even with, even with a longer time frame, if say Watford are, are looking for a, a centre back, they'll put out that message to multiple agents. Obviously, the ones they're closest to, but others as well it could be quite a broad net they throw and they'll see what comes back to them while simultaneously doing their own scouting and due diligence in other areas um the the agent's part in recruitment is much bigger than i think is is generally talked about um it is almost uh an agency you know the agent's almost selling their player as a you know like like a agent would do for an actor you know they're, they're giving audition reels they're doing all these things to get these players a a, a move as well so Whilst there's no not necessarily retainers, there are definitely agents they're comfortable with, and that also comes down to negotiations. You know, if you're comfortable with an agent, if you're if you're happy with how he does his business, you've got a good relationship there. Because remember, the agent's getting a a, a decent size fee um, every single time these deals go through, so it's mutually beneficial. If the if the agent and the club have a good relationship, the agent's going to make sure that his player signs a relatively favourable contract as well for the player, but also for the club. Um, so there's going to be that that point as well um it is it, just it's just the way it is and i think we just have to accept that it's not it's not just buyout although obviously the way he operates is, is perhaps slightly different at times um it, it's still relatively common practice for for agents to have that big of a say or that big of an input into into transfers is there anything else we want to say on recruitment moji buyer anything that kind of feeds into that the roles of gioretta and ben manga but Matt, I know you had a chat with Gioretta and and Manga as well. Did did you get glean any kind of gems from that? Any exclusives for the the Watford Buzz podcast? Manga very quickly turned away from me just as I was about to try and approach him. Uh, but I did have a good chat with Cristiano Gioretta. Yeah. Um, who I can say actually was you know very a very nice man. He was very pleasant. Um, uh, you know he he didn't want to give me you know any stories unfortunately, but uh, you know he. 
he did um, admit that um, the club has been too hasty in some cases to um, to parting ways with managers, and um, mm. you know he himself cited the uh, the Steve Cooper um, incident as something that Watford can learn from. Um, so that was quite interesting. Not that it's really, you know, his decision to be honest when it comes to that sort of thing. But um, that that was quite an interesting thing to to learn from him. Uh, did you ask? Did you uh, ask about the butterflies? No, I didn't ask about the butterflies. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to ask about the butterflies. Couldn't ask the hard questions. I see. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, let's move on then to the finance. I'm about you, Matt. You're obviously in the room, and, and Jordan as well. I kind of felt like, although this was another topic that we kept coming back to, they were very quick to kind of close this down, and I almost, or attempt to close it down at least, and I almost expected there to be more scrutiny of the financial situation. It all kind of seemed to boil down to, we're in a great, I mean, fantastic was the, the adjective they used, actually. A fantastic financial position, and by next summer, we're going to be effectively debt-free. Is that fair? I think it sounds like it's potentially fair, but they didn't really... I think what they didn't say, which is actually a big factor, is we're actually okay because we can pay most of this debt off because we've sold Joe Pedro. We were kind of fortunate we had a big asset on our hands to sell. I don't think it's necessarily extreme, you know... Great extremely well-run club. club that's yeah. you know we've we've been in such a position that we've now got ourselves into it might be a case of we've actually saved ourselves a couple of seasons of struggle by having a player we can sell for a decent fee that allows us to pay off you know debt that we have to we have to pay back soon with relatively high interest rates and so on so you know i i don't know i'm this definitely not my realm of expertise um to to comment on the financial state too too much obviously we've spoken to to kieran and so on before but um you know, I don't think there's. It's difficult because we know we're not going to get too much in terms of specifics when it comes to asking about the financial side of things. Mm. Um, so the only, yeah, I, I don't have too too much to add to to that one personally. I'm not sure if you guys picked up on anything I missed there. Well, something that I uh, said to a, a few of the guys afterwards when we were chatting in the sort of mixer um, was that you know football clubs are very often carrying debt because it's planned for and it's necessary uh, at certain times and um, you know there is a big thing about wanting to be debt free because it sounds like it's a bad thing but when it's budgeted for properly I think yep. I think most clubs in probably at least in in the Premier League probably probably most likely in the, in the 72 have some kind of debt Absolutely. Um, and if Watford were to this was a, this is a bit of a uh, you know you have to make, use your imagination here. But if Watford were to get promoted next season, <laughs> I guarantee you, Watford will be taking out a loan to facilitate things that they will need to do to prepare for a Premier League season. They've probably taken out a loan off the back of selling Joao Pedro because they won't get all that money up front, and they will want yeah. to bring in that you know they'll want to have that cash flow essentially to use on other things so um i imagine you know there's an, there's another loan there there were two things i was just going to say from the notes that i took while listening that i thought were interesting or good one was that scott duxbury said the squad salaries are now entirely sustainable in the championship after getting the high earners off the books that is good but obviously there are 
ramifications for that. You know, you're not carrying the same calibre of player. The squad is weaker than it was the last time we were in the Championship a few years ago when we had Saar, we had Pedro. They also forgot players. to mention a few of the high owners that are still on the books. There are still high like owners Christian on Christian Cabaselli, for example. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Backman was a high earner. These have relegation clauses, though. Well, it's a good question. Probably never know and understand Ka- why. Cavaselli re-signed. Cavaselli extended his contract last season, didn't he? Yeah. So he might be on a little bit more. And apologies, Matt. I'm generally not one to defend the extension of Christian Cavaselli's contract. And I'm <laughs> certainly not trying to here. But just from purely a financial standpoint, in terms of let's just forget it's Christian Cavaselli, he's probably not one of the higher well he's probably on the higher end of earners but he probably isn't on a premier league contract at the very least don't take away from the fact that he's probably earned close to 10 million pounds since being here but that's a different all right story. uncle ron bloody hell um <laughs> oh, it's true though it is no true. no it is that is ostensibly a fact i think that possibly um, plays into the reason why we haven't been told yet about mr tom cleverly Craig Cathcart, whether they will be returning or not. I think a lot of it has to do with if they can negotiate contracts for these guys at a considerably lower championship level rate. Yeah. Completely forgetting that these guys shouldn't even be thought about at all because of their ability currently in 2023. Uh, I think they're still looking at them as assets and oh, we, we can get these players back on, on a cheaper rate. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Remember how mm. good they were when we had them on a more expensive rate? Well, think about Slightly it. odd in contrast to their comments about keeping players on for longer than they should be Too and, long, that's it. and having exactly. players that aren't being productive. I, I thought that was odd in the midst of discussions with three players that have struggled for availability. It was one of several things that didn't quite join up. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been announced that they were discussing. The club announced themselves are discussing contract renewals with them, so at least that thought has been entertained. Yeah. The other thing I was just going to say very quickly was um, two things. Sorry, Gino said that, and this has been said long, but he reiterated it: the debt to him will never be called in. And the and Scott said the kind of model for sustainability relies heavily on player trading, which I think. As Watford fans, we're fairly used to, even historically, prior to the Potsos, you know, it, it usually required one decent sale every summer to keep us ticking over, didn't it? So I think that's actually best case scenario, personally, anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's how you want to run your club, personally. But yeah, that was just recruit. Otherwise, just relies on the recruitment club. being good and not being led by Moji Buyer. Um, should just well, say if you're on a small club. How else do you? How else do you find that? Oh, of course, that's it, exactly. If you're not in the Premier League and getting that money, then you you have to find other ways, and player trading can be a very effective way of doing that. So no no complaints, but I just thought it was was actually taught myself into feeling a bit more positive here, but I actually thought it was good to hear them say that definitively is is still part of their strategy. Go on, mate. One thing, though, one thing you say it's good to hear them say, I'm not going to harp on about this too, too much. When you say Mm. it's good to hear them say that, you're talking yourself into being a little bit more positive. I do feel like the... Even though there were still there were still things I didn't feel comfortable about, still felt somewhat questioned about. You know, we've discussed the the managing the manager stuff, we've, or the Edward stuff, the head coach stuff. We discussed some of the the recruitment stuff that we had negative feelings about for sure. But I, I do feel like some of the positive aspects that were discussed, I just I just really feel were lost without the audio format. Hearing it made it sound very different. 
uh, and did any positives that I came away from this from because after reading the blog yesterday I felt almost 100% negative about it at least I feel there are some positives to take away but I only felt that after listening did, did, was that something that you felt too yeah I think and and this is where the um it's hard to get the tone isn't it from from written form of anything like whatsapp you know and, and slack and tools like that it's it's not the same as actually picking up the phone having a conversation with someone or doing it in person is it it's um you lose the nuance the context etc and 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 as i think we said this prior to recording probably didn't do gino and scott any favors either because you don't get to hear how they said it you know the moments when they took things in good humor and little quips and so on and so forth because um you can't you know you just can't capture that in uh, in the written word you know to be honest with you i think it's going to be a ma- i'm I, I don't want to talk about the audio so much that people listening to this that haven't had a chance to listen to it are going to be frustrated by it because in my mind i feel like there's been so many sources there's multiple recordings out there it's only a matter of time before it ends up on twitter and i imagine probably even before this podcast go out goes out hopefully so yeah, Lots I mean, if it gets have released, their phones out. I wouldn't be surprised if some of them. I'm were, sure. Were when if you weren't asked, if you weren't asked specifically not to, then I'm sure people were. And look, it's going to get out there. It, it would be smart, honestly, in my opinion. The club, prob- the club probably have a decent recording. Um, I'm sh- I know Andrew and, and Adam were able to record. I'm not sure exactly the quality of their recordings. It might be better if they were prepared and openly recording. I don't know if the club even just gave the green light to the Athletic or the Watford Observer to release the audio then that would be good, you know? Like, anything just to give people... Because the thing is, we've been waiting so long to hear him talk. Anything that adds a little bit of context or a little bit of... Um, just a little bit more kind of quality to the conversation that, that took place, I think people deserve to have that, really. Um, and it did make a difference for me. And I, I think it would make a difference for, from other people. Some, some maybe not, but I, I think there was value there. So I do hope that in some form, whatever form that is, people everyone gets the access to hear it you know i think that would be beneficial not not just for us as fans but as tom said there i think probably beneficial for for those that are participating from the club side too yeah no agreed is there anything else we want to talk about i put a couple of things down under any other business the shadow board um and the fact that gino isn't on the board but i mean i don't know about you guys i've not got a vast amount to say about those topics I think the probably the biggest thing that we we didn't cover, which is obviously probably one of the biggest points of the whole forum, was um, oh God, what have we was the, the pre the preseason away <laughs> game um, potentially abroad. That <laughs> when I are we going to play Udinese on... away? That's the real question. <laughs> I think that was on most of our minds going into this, yeah. and it was good to hear it was finally expressed. So yeah, no uh, firm response on that. I did. What actually was the? I don't even remember what the response was. Was there a response? Um, I, yeah, the preseason isn't yeah. set yet. No, the, which the is... response was that um, all the preseason games are chosen by the head coach, and so that's the oh. reason why um, they are not going to be doing anything like Real Madrid or whatever, for example, because um, Scott admitted that he would love to have something like that because the revenue that he could get from that would be fantastic. But um, Valerian Ishmael has apparently chosen um, and is in talks with the uh, the guys about who he wants to play. Um, that did bring up a few um, laughs and chuckles, and someone even said he's chosen to play Steve Inage and Boreham Wood. Then has he? That's who he's openly decided that he wants to play. So I mean, I, I don't think anyone really believed that. Um, 
I suspect they probably do take into account what his wishes are. For example, the reason why they're not going to be doing their Austria camp is because Ishmael has said that he wants to spend all of the weeks in in the UK working you know, without any kind of um, holiday, as he put it, um, being involved in the in the you know in in the preseason. And I do believe that that was his decision, and that they've decided to go along with that because that's his wishes. Whether he actually identified Stevenage and Bournemouth as being clubs that he would like to play in pre-season, I suspect is not the case. He probably said something along the lines of, I would like um, a couple of easier fixtures to to prepare ourselves. That's too disrespectful to Stevenage and Bournemouth, but you know what I mean. They're not, um, they're not championship level um, games that to sort of like, I don't know, build up. From, it's just I standard suppose. pre-season stuff, isn't it really? Yeah, yeah. Just, Although there yeah. was talk of a, a, a Hibernian game. Is that because we said that we would do that in the terms oh, of the of Ryan Portius, Portius yeah. transfer? Is that right? I think so, yeah. So I think Scott said something along the lines of watch this space. So maybe that game will take <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> There you go, lads. Which... <laughs> he wants that international. Because it was, it was talking about an international pre-season away game, wasn't it? That'll be was a triple A fan yes. ID yes. fixture, yeah, won't it? Hibs away in pre-season. I don't know how that question was, was deemed um, important enough to bring up. Also, if you listen to the if you listen to this episode, no offence to anyone asking the question. It was just funny amongst the uh, the tone of everything else. It just kind of came out of nowhere. It felt like yeah. To be fair, it anyway, was apart right from at that, the end, and it was in that kind of section where it's like, you know, are there we're, any more we're, questions? We're almost done. That? We yeah. might as well ask something a little bit more light-hearted. And uh, you know, even though there were a few people sort of like, is that really something we need yeah. to ask right now? It didn't go down like a lead balloon like if, yeah. it, if it had been asked as the first question like you know I, I think i think the question came at the right time yeah um, if it was going to come I, out at all well i saw it on the blog that i did think to myself i hope that wasn't matt that asked that question <laughs> <laughs> you know i, I, uh, I, I didn't ask one actually um i uh i i had a couple that i wanted to at the time and then people were ahead of me asked them so i, I didn't need so, do you try and get sure. the signed shirt? Did you, did you try and get the holding up the shirt photo with Gino and Scott? No, not this time. No. <laughs> no. Although I was very tempted to, the... to get Luther to sign something for me, but uh, oh, I, okay. I chickened out. Mm, Agent Luther. All right then. Well, look. Is there any kind of closing remarks, reminder of you in terms of anything we've missed, or uh, summing up of your thoughts at this juncture that you want to get off your chest? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Yeah, um, yeah. One thing I'd like to say, real quick, if you've listened this far, thanks. Appreciate <laughs> you making it through this. We try to be as as to the point as we can. But um, there was a fair bit of criticism to the supporters group going into this, and whilst we weren't exactly at the forefront of organisation, well, at least Matt and myself weren't. I know Tom. Tom was definitely was involved. You know, much. I heard it was much Tom's more idea than we to were. do everything. Yeah, or to, it was Tom's idea to to keep the media out and yeah, stop the Tom, audio Tom and all that, that stuff. Yeah, Tom made that his number one <laughs> But in terms of um, in terms of at least speaking for ourselves, because we we really can do. I, I do want to reiterate the fact that this was genuinely done as an attempt to try and improve things for fans. I mean, I think we consider ourselves vastly more fans than any sort of media out there. I mean. I don't consider us media at all. We're even more commentary, aren't we? Um, But there was some negativity towards the supporters group as a whole, some towards us, a couple of individual comments towards us, which I don't really take too seriously. But just to put people's mind at ease, 
it was done with uh, with good intent, and I hope that there was some positive outcome from it. Um, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I really have to say on that matter. I think we can all echo that sentiment. Matt, anything from you in closing, mate? Um, I would like to apologise to those people who thought that they would get more from this um, in terms of comments than, than actually came out in the end. The questions I thought that were asked were good questions. The answers were not good answers. And I think that's the pit that you probably need to focus on because the questions were all, you know, to the point, I felt. And a lot of the the, the, the people that um, asked questions from the floor were really hard-hitting. They didn't pull their punches. I think some of the answers were a bit too politician-like, not really giving away too much. Mm. And um, ultimately... Even though the event was a success, I feel, because it's it's a success to get Gino in the room after 10 years of not hearing Precisely. from the man. That's um, it. it wasn't as great as everyone had hoped it would be. And I suppose, upon reflection, perhaps we were a bit naive in thinking we would get a lot of answers to questions that maybe they would never really give us the, the real answers to. But we got something. We got a little bit of something. And we also got the indication that there will be more of these yes, events. Yes, that's a very good place. point to make. Yeah. Um, they yeah. said that there will be more at your places and Gino, even though he was directly asked if he would be more involved with these types of things and he didn't exactly say yes, <laughs> he, I feel at least can now, the question can be asked and, 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 and we can say, well, why not this time? Why not this time, etc.? Um, and also he's probably owed the opportunity to come in and talk when something goes right and hopefully we maybe not this season maybe not next season but we will hopefully have uh have, have some good times turn up and i think he will be more than well to to step forward and say okay i'm now going to speak now that the things are good because i spoke when the things weren't so great so now i can take in some of the the adulation that I didn't get last time. And he mentioned actually that he didn't speak, you know, when we got to the FA Cup final or when we got promoted to the Premier League. So he did have opportunities there where he could have spoken to the fans and said, oh, look how great I am. But he, he didn't. No. So, um, would be very weird though. It, it, it's, it would be very weird. But it's, it's very good of him to come forward we did. now, finally. And um, that's all off the back of the, the fans group. Um, a lot of the hard work was done by um, the, the do not scratch your eyes guys who kind of led the thing and, and, yeah. and uh, you know, a, a, a big round of applause has to go to them for, for managing to sort of lead that and get people in the right direction. And uh, I, I, I don't believe the club actually believed that the fans group could do it either. Um, I feel the same way, mate. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. you know, well done to them. And, you know, they got a bit of a backlash about the media thing. I'm not sure what the what, what what the right decision was there. I wasn't involved in the decision anyway, but um, I did I did at the time. I thought, well, it is a fans group. Maybe maybe it should just be the fans. But you know, ultimately, you know, the decision was made that the media could be involved as well, and and you know, it, it didn't harm anything. I I did think that um, there should have been audio released, and yeah. that's disappointing, um, particularly after we've heard from Jordan saying that he's been able to you know hear a, a, a copy of. I, I presume someone's phone and uh you know he he says that the takeaway for him was very different to reading the the transcript so 
it's a shame that not everyone has been able to have that experience. Um, and maybe you can come back here, Jordan. Did you learn a great deal more than the transcript? Uh, yeah, I did. To be honest with yeah, you, Matt. Did, yeah. I did. I mean, look, for me, it's, it's exactly the same as anything. Like, it's the same as watching a game. I, the, I would, in order of ways I'd like to consume it, obviously be there live, watch it, listen to it, or read it. You know, read it still at the bottom. I think you lose as much. Each step away you take from watching it live and being there, you lose a little. And I think um, I, I think a live blog is the is the least immersive version of it. I mean, it, the the nuance didn't come across well. You know, the the audience reaction doesn't come across. The it, you weren't able to catch the full questions and answers. I think actually, um, in some ways, the questions were were hurt more than the answers because the answers weren't always great. But the questions had to be shortened at times to get out on the blog in time for the response and also the way those questions are delivered so you know sometimes these questions were delivered with some real weight behind them and i think it was a bit of a disservice that they weren't able to be viewed as that via the blog which is where you know as it as it stands the vast majority of people consume this information so i think it is a shame and i think you know the media not being involved to begin with, I think, is, is always just going to be an, an attempt to, to get a more open conversation, not because it's not going to get out there eventually, but because clearly there was some aversion from Gino to speak publicly to the media um, in particular. So it, it was done with good intentions. And I've got I don't honestly, I couldn't care less who's there as long as we get the um, as long as everyone gets the access to hear it. And it, it, it's a shame that that that, that changed. But I'm still hoping that in some ways people will get to hear it through through the audio as well and uh, and perhaps get a, a broader picture or um, broader understanding of what, what went on. Excellent. Two final things I just want to say before we wrap up. One is, and I said it at the top, and, and Matt said it as well, but just to echo that great work by the people that pulled together to make this happen. The gauntlet was thrown down by Scott Duxbury to every single Watford supporter. Nobody was excluded it was there for anyone who wanted to pick it up and it was do not scratch your eyes and from the rookery end and the Watford supporters trust who really, really drove it. There were other people involved. We were obviously involved to an extent, um, but it was it was those three that really drove it. And I think they deserve all the credit in the world for making something happen that hasn't happened for 11 years. And for anyone that kind of came away sneering yesterday saying, oh, well, we didn't learn anything. We got exactly what I expected, et cetera, et cetera. I would, I would simply say this. Use your powers of uh, foresight and being able to see into the future to pick next week's lottery numbers, buy the football club and run it yourself because clearly you possess a skill that none of us on this podcast have. Second thing in relation to that, just be nice to each other because there's been so much bloody toxicity over Twitter in the last week. And as I always, always say, you can't take Twitter as your complete barometer of the Watford fan base, but certainly it's where I know you guys spend and I spend a decent amount of time interacting with Watford fans, which I love doing and I love doing through the podcast as well. But I just think we're divided enough over the ownership. We shouldn't be getting at each other. And it's been absolutely horrible to see in the last week. I'm sure you guys would echo those sentiments. So just be nice human beings to each other. Most of you manage it. The rest of you stop being little pricks. <laughs> I also like to think anyone that listens to this podcast probably knows our intention. I feel pretty confident that we've always been pretty open about stuff. So I'm not yeah. too worried about that. It's more just like, you know, I, I, I think 
I, we don't always have to assume the negative with um, with people, and it exactly. seems like at times it's happened. But Hopefully anyway, I hope we've. I hope in, if any input we've had into this thing, I hope it's been positive, and I hope this podcast helps in some ways too. Absolutely. Um, if not, sorry for wasting a last hour and a half of your life. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully on the next podcast we can get back to doing what we do best, which is talking about uh, stats and um, players and uh, football, football transfers. Maybe transfers. We've got yeah, whole yeah. new loads of things to talk about. Players that have been uh, signed unofficially, but we think they've been signed. Um, we should also talk about the uh, the new uh, assistant head coach and the first team assistant head coach and, and various things that are taking place there. Um, so there's lots to get involved with and we're looking forward to bringing all of that to you on a future pod but uh, I think this one deserved to sort of be in isolation really and um, we've kind of done it now so yeah thanks guys for, for being a part of that yeah thanks for hosting this one as well today Tom nice change up for the new season we'll put we'll yeah. put um, we'll put round pigs back in round holes for the next one shall we and let Matt host it <laughs> oh please <laughs> I'm far better as a host. Well, I, I, I don't know. You are. Uh, <laughs> better than me, I meant. Sorry, that sounds mean, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, right. well, shall, we, uh, shall, we, shall we end by having uh, another listener of the, of the new theme tune? I'm still quite proud of that. Absolutely. Let's do that. Throw it on, yeah. yeah. Let's make sure it's the right one this time. But I've, I've not got an hour left to, <laughs> to go through the other variants. So. Okay, well, um, Tom, why don't you count. Uh, say the goodbyes? Thank you for listening as always, folks. We really do appreciate it. If you are inclined to support us via our Patreon, it would be greatly appreciated. If not, a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast is always a great help. And make sure you get more of these absolutely uh, fantastic opinions by following our Twitter. It's at WatfordPod, at Messi Messiano, at Jordan Weimer, and at TB Bodell. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, a beautiful afternoon for a good game of football now, and it looks as though we have the makings of it. Barnes has come in. Oh, a fine goal by John Barnes. That's a beauty. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.